Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the bird's eye to my Hawkeye. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, are you well? Yeah, yeah I'm very good. It always helps when uh, um, yeah, the intros tickle me a little bit. That was uh, It took me a couple of seconds to get that one, but it, it finally landed. That was good. Yeah, I, I don't really know what I was going for myself, really. Whether I'm, I'm thinking fish fingers, bird's eye, or I don't really know. None, none of it applies to me, obviously, for for obvious uh, dietary reasons. So we we won't get into that. But uh, yeah, it was, you know, it's, it was a good one. It was very witty from you. Do you uh, not it's, miss? It's impressive. Do you not miss a good fish finger, Justin? <laughs> uh, to be fair, the the vegan ones are very very good. They do vegan ones, and they are very very good. It's they are very difficult to uh, decipher between the two. I would fully fully recommend um, delving into them. That's the case with most, you know, non-meat, like, substitutes, if you see what I mean. Like, a lot of them just taste exactly the same, don't they? I mean, I'm not a vegan myself, but when I have had them, I'm like, just taste exactly the same. Don't see what the issue is. So why do you and our pals tease me about it whenever we're we're away? Because there is no substitute, Justin, for a sweaty... (laughs) kebab after a night out that can never ever be replaced as far as i'm concerned that's that's absolutely fair that's your opinion i respect it much like our our viewers opinions whenever they whenever they respond to us with our clips i completely respect it but you're completely wrong great Welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us, wherever you are, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, we're going to be talking about Middlesbrough v Sunderland in this particular episode, but we'll also be looking ahead to some of the games in the championship this coming weekend, as well as talking about some of the news from the past few days. And then we'll finish off with Diddy or Didn't He right at the end. But before we get underway, let me tell you, listener, about our friends at Fansbet, the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans. Do check them out by clicking the link in the description of the podcast and claim your 200% sports deposit bonus of up to £200. Terms and restrictions apply. Full details on site. 18+. plus. Please do gamble responsibly. Visit begambleaware.org for more info. And do also check out Fansbet's responsible gambling tools. Justin, a Riley McGree goal gave Middlesbrough a 1-0 win over Sunderland in the Tears Weir derby. And I love how all games in that part of the world are named after their rivers. It's not <laughs> you don't see that anywhere else apart from the Northeast, Tyne Weir, Tees Weir, Tees Tyne. 
<laughs> yeah, that, that's a that's a thing that happens up there for some reason. But whatever the case, I'd call this a deserved win for Middlesbrough. Yeah, it was certainly a deserved win. They looked the more threatening side um, throughout the night. I think Sunderland struggled to get into a gear that allowed them to to get into a flow. Um, and and with Middlesbrough, I think what won them the game was they won the individual individual battles. It's as simple as that. You look at the the midfield. Dale Fry was excellent. He kept Ellis, Ellis Sims at bay. Isaiah Jones kept Jack Clark very quiet, and um, Alex Mowat and Matt Crooks were, were brilliant in midfield, and that allowed Riley McGree to to um, yeah to have the freedom to, to roam the pitch, and that really really helped Middlesbrough to to get forward. So yeah, certainly deserving of the win and a, a really important good three points for them. Yeah, it wasn't a masterclass performance by any means, was it? But they did what they had to do. And it was a thoroughly professional showing, I thought. The wing-backs mm-hmm. were key for Middlesbrough. Isaiah Jones, Ryan Giles, the main cause of Sunderland's problems all night. And I expect that to be a common theme as the season goes on. Because as far as wing-backs go in this division, you'll do well to find two better than them. Ryan McGree played well in the number 10 role. Seems to be relishing in it as well, but it's strange because he probably wouldn't be playing there, Justin, if Borough had signed another striker. Because I think Chris Wilder, in an ideal world, would like to go with two up top. But clearly at the moment, he thinks the only way he can play with this team week in, week out is with one up top and one behind him. Yeah, it is an interesting one. Obviously, at um, at Sheffield United, Wilder would play Billy Sharp Um especially in the championship days, Billy Sharp and David McGoldrick. And McGoldrick would be that man dropping in between the midfield and the um and and the attack and, and really link and really link the two. And um having three in the middle is quite an interesting facet as well. But you're probably right, um Dwight McGree might not get game time. Even so if Marcus Duvernier wasn't sold, I'd I doubt my Riley McGree would get as much game time potentially or they might they may not have signed Alex Mauer. But what it does show is that um, Chris Wilder does have options and Ryan McGree is stepping into that role. I don't think he's a, a particularly um, crazy midfielder in terms of numbers, but he gets Middlesbrough up the pitch. He drives them forward up the pitch, which is which is really important, especially when you need to get wing-backs in, in good areas to get balls into the box um, and get Matt Crooks on the end of crosses when he's arriving late, etc. So whilst he's not going to post double-figure goals and assists, I don't think, is going to be really, really important to get Middlesbrough firing in that final third. Yeah, and it says a lot about how leaky Middlesbrough have been at the back when this is their first clean sheet of the season. (laughs) Um, Pretty amazing, really, for a Chris Wilder team, isn't it? It's Yeah, I I don't know why I was surprised when you you said that. Um, But yeah, it is their first clean sheet of the season. And and I think that's been part of the issue is that they they have been quite leaky. uh, yeah, I think a few weeks ago I did question whether or not Chris Wilder's teams have been found out. Um, but I think it's just a case of them struggling to put the ball in the back of the net at the right time because what they showed here is they can defend a lead. I don't think Sutherland had a kick in the um, in the Borough, well, Borough final third in that last 10-15 minutes. It was quite nicely managed by, by Middlesbrough. Um, so yeah, they, they, they tightened up and they just need a settled back line. Um, obviously the wing-backs will do their job, but getting a settled back line and a settled midfield is going to be helpful. Not not having as many injuries, not, not picking up as many injuries as they, as they have will also, will also help. Yeah, it's amazing that they've conceded the second most goals in the division because I don't think they've actually been defending poorly. It just seems like teams have been very, very clinical against them and took their chances when they've come. They haven't been in full flow yet, that's undeniable. But this performance was a step 
in the right direction. And conceding goals has been the obvious problem so far. This was the kind of game where they kept it tight, despite a lot of pressure from Sunderland. But they didn't give in. And if they have more performance like this, and Borough will only move up the table because they have enough talent in their side to harm teams, don't they? Even when they don't have as much of the ball. So without a doubt, hopefully this is a Middlesbrough going back to the side that everyone was expecting him to be at the start of the season as opposed to the one that's been like a sieve in uh, the first few games. Uh, They've got Blackpool away this weekend, which I'd imagine Chris Wilder will be disappointed not to get three points from as well. So we'll have to wait and see for that. But Sunderland had lots of the ball, huffed and puffed, but didn't really cause Middlesbrough any problems really, did they? Ross Sturt wasn't available after pulling up in the warm-up, which was a massive blow, wasn't it? Because he offers so much more than just getting on the end of chances and Sunderland really missed that. A win and a loss for Tony Mowbray then as Sunderland boss. What are your early thoughts with him so far, JP? It's quite hard to tell. A bit like Stoke and Alex Neil. It's just they've only been in charge for around about a week. So yeah, quite a difficult one to, to break down. I think Mowbray's trying to he he will try and phase the team into what he wants, but what he wants is probably fairly similar to what Alex Neil wanted. He wants his teams to be flexible tactically. Um he wants to be able to change systems potentially. Um and I think we're gonna we're gonna see that. But I think the fact that Ross Stewart was missing in this game and, and it showed because Ellis Sims is a good forward, but as a lone forward he, he might struggle. Ross Stewart might be able to lead the line on his own, but I don't think Ellis Sims is that sort of player just yet. Um, still got plenty of development to do, um, and this and this is the first game of the season where I've been a bit disappointed by Sunderland. Um, I mean, as a side coming up from League One, it is a positive that they've got this far in the season, and that's probably their first performance where they've underwhelmed a little bit. But it's hard to really. So I just think it's hard to judge Mowbray at this point in his tenure. Um, it's it's far too early, and obviously missing Ross Stewart could have been a different game if he was there. Yeah, a dominant win at home followed by a good enough performance away at one of the best teams in the league. I think that's quite good for a promoted side, especially with a new manager in two games. So I think they definitely need to find a way to play without Ross Stewart because it sounds like his injuries going to keep him out for the next three games at least. And uh, hopefully he'll be back after the upcoming international break. He knits them all together brilliantly going forwards and that's why he's such a wonderful player but he's going to struggle to play every minute in a championship season he came pretty close to doing it in league one last season but um you know you you push and you look if you're expecting him to do it again in the championship but having said that i'll be fairly happy with what i've seen so far under tony mowbray justin let's have a quick break then after that we'll have a look at some of the games coming up in the championship this weekend and look back at some of the news from the past few days Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. We're going to look ahead to some of the big games coming up in the Championship this weekend. And we'll start with the one from Friday night. It's a meeting of two relegated sides, Burnley v Norwich, a game that really whets the appetite, Justin. Burnley, just the one loss so far. Norwich, five wins on the bounce. Do you fancy Norwich's chances to make it six, Justin? 
potentially. One thing I will point out is, if this game was in the Premier League, I'd have no intention of watching it on a Sunday. <laughs> but now it's in the Championship, I'm, I'm all over it. It's very strange, very strange psyche. But for Norwich, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. I think Burnley looked, although they were the second best, um, although they were second best against West Brom last last weekend, um, I do quite fancy them on the counter-attack uh, against this Norwich team and um, I think it will be a difficult test a stern test for Norwich but if you look at where the two teams are Norwich are in a better position they've got that continuity under Dean Smith and they haven't had such a huge turnover this summer of, of players whereas Burnley are a new team essentially so they're going to go through the, mention, uh, the motions a little bit and that's to be expected but as I say, I think I do quite fancy Burnley on the counter attack. I don't know. I'm, I'm still, I'm still on the fence in my head. I think it'll be a high scoring game, but I really, I do struggle to call it. I don't think it's as simple as just looking at the form and going Norwich will win. What do you think is the least watchable game in the Premier League right now? <laughs> um, I'm trying to maybe Bournemouth Leicester. I, I don't really have much interest in Wolves games. Personally. Don't score, do they? So well. I'd be more interested in a relegation battle than I would for a team who I don't really see being in trouble, nor do I see doing anything. I think for me, it'd probably be Southampton Wolves. Yeah, that's fair. Maybe looking at a Palace, but Palace can entertain. Yeah, Palace have got some good players, haven't Mm -hmm. they? So I'd be more inclined to watch them play as opposed to Wolves-Southampton, who, I mean, I just could not care less. I think if I... Even if I didn't do a championship podcast, if that game was on telly, I would watch whatever championship game is on at the same time. That's fair. That's fair. That's completely understandable. And that's why we do this podcast is because the championship games are better than the Premier League games, even Super Sunday. Much, much better. Yeah, well, I'm not going to deny that, Justin, because obviously the championship is the greatest league in the world. But genuinely, in terms of the actual entertainment on show, half the time the championship actually is better than the Premier League. But nonetheless, um, where were we? Burnley's first few games, they dominated possession and had the opposition quite often chasing their tail. But more recently for me, the games have been more open. And I think that plays into Norwich's hands. Let's be honest, Norwich have been exceptional recently, haven't they? Part of me thinks they can't win every game. There's got to be the odd draw or loss chucked in here or there. But they have played so well recently that I fancy them to get another three points here, despite the obvious step up in quality, Justin. Mm, I just I just think the, the quality of play that Burnley have, I think that will see them through the game. I really do. And I think, as you say, I think it will be an open game. Um I was I was impressed with the way Burnley defended against West Brom. They did deal with most of what West Brom took to them last weekend. And Norwich will be a completely different customer. They won't want to put crosses in the box. They'll want to build into that final third and try and open teams up. But I don't think Burnley will leave that many that many spaces to exploit uh, as other teams do. So I just don't think it'll be as as easy a game for for Norwich as it has been. You know, for, for example, the Coventry win. So. I, I I would go for a high scoring draw for this one if I'm gonna if I'm gonna predict a, predict this yeah the result. Well, Marcelino Nunes looking an unbelievable player for Norwich. I think Burnley will have to try and stop him dictating the game as much as they can. Aaron Ramsey's looked lively in midfield, but of course the danger man Dosh, Josh Sargent, arguably the most informed player in the division right now. They'll have to certainly certainly keep an eye on him. But without a doubt, 
Burnley can harm Norwich because Nathan Teller's looked a really good player and he'll be the one who they'll look to provide inspiration. Sam Byram's been playing left-back for Norwich and even though he's done a good job, he's a right-back by trade and is an obvious weakness for Burnley to try and target. Having said all this, I think the most likely result is a Norwich win. I will go for 2-1 Norwich, Justin. I'm going for at least a 2-2 draw. Nice. There'll, there'll be goals in this one. I, I I hope so. I'm always here for the goals. Watford v Reading. If you had told me at the start of the season that Watford would be below Reading after eight games, I'd have said, Christ, Rob Edwards must have had a bad start. But no, it's because Reading have been great so far, Justin. Yeah, they, they have been superb, um, especially at home. They, they've been incredible. Away form is a bit sketchy, to say the least. But um, I mean, we credited Paul Lintz at the weekend for proving just about 99% of the country wrong as to what he could do with this Reading, Reading side. But obviously there are there are warnings to heed because he did the same thing with the Blackpool team in 2013 or 2014 and he ended up getting sacked when they were 20th after being in the top six during Christmas. So there are warning signs for Reading, but um, not to take anything away from them. They have been brilliant and this is going to be another game where it's going to be a really good test, uh, especially away from home. If they want to avoid being sucked into a relegation battle, they've got to start getting results away. Um, and this is a really good place to do it because I think Watford may struggle against how Reading will want to set up. What really, what warning signs are you talking about, Justin? What with Reading? Um, I think just that record of Paul Ince's. Uh, you can have a good run as a manager um, and look brilliant um, and then it all unravels. You look at how quickly it unravelled for Reading last season under Poundovic. You know, they were, they had a good, they were, they were hit and miss for sort of the first half of the season and then that, that run of games, that run of defeats going into the new year, um, it unravelled quickly and as I say with Blackpool uh, under Paul Lintz in 2013 or 2014, I can't remember which year specifically it was, they were in the top four um, around about Christmas time and then they ended up finishing 20th and, and Paul Lintz was sacked so, and he didn't have a job, hadn't had a job since then so those are the warning signs I think and it's just a case of just not getting too carried away and because of that away form not being up to scratch as much as their home form, it's just important just to keep the feet grounded for now. Well, they've been so tough to break down, haven't they? And they'll have to do that again, especially away at Watford, who are obviously, without a doubt, one of the best teams in the league. Um, but we know that Watford can be stopped. Rotherham showed that at the weekend, didn't they? And Watford haven't really got going yet, have they? It's strange because they're sixth and you look at some of the other teams, many we're expecting to be up there this season. They've done better than them in terms of results, but performances have been lacking. They have only lost the one game, but ask any Watford fan and they'll tell you the performances haven't exactly been convincing. I don't think it's a coincidence that the three teams they've beat so far have been Sheffield United, Burnley and Middlesbrough. Because I think for me, their players are better suited to games where they're not having to break teams down. Because you look at their midfield, you've got... Chowdhury and Kembe, who are more physical than they are technical players, aren't they? Aspria is the kind of player who can pick out a pass, but I think it's a lot to expect for a lad so young. And then the only other player in there who I would look to to create chances would be João Pedro, but often he's having to come so deep to get on the ball that um, it's too deep for him to, you know, cause serious, serious problems. So. I think they could struggle again here against Reading, who, as we say, have been so tough to break down and Watford may find themselves struggling to do it again. 
Well, exactly. It just depends what Reading turn up to this game. Obviously, they've they lost um, two away games this season by four goals to nil. Um, so if they get that Reading, then it'll be a walk in the park for Watford. But if they get the Reading, that is that is difficult to break down. That is stubborn. That is as hardworking a unit as as many other teams in this league. You look at um, you look at how Rotherham set up, very much wanting to to punish with the second balls. The looping cross from Wes Harding for Richard Wood for that um, uh, for for the header is it you know lacked quality, but it put Watford under a lot of pressure. And I think Reading will much will go about much the same um, with regards to how they set up and how they how they go through the game. And obviously, if they get Lucas Shaw on the ball as much as possible, he's going to harm Watford. So it's going to be a tactical game. It's going to have to be a tactical game against this Reading side because they're very difficult, I think, to play against. Um, Alex Neal struggled at the weekend to find inroads against them. So Rob Edwards has got a big task and I think it's not going to be the making of him, but games like this will certainly tell us a lot more about Rob, Ed- Rob Edwards than, um, than a routine 4-0 win against uh, a bottom a team in the bottom three. Score prediction then, Justin? Uh, I'm going to go 1-0 Reading. I'll go one all. I'm not that optimistic, but I think... It- a point would be a fantastic result for Paul Ince. Coventry v West Brom. A bit of a West Midlands derby, I suppose, but both have not had ideal starts to the season, have they? Coventry bottom with one point from five. West Brom just the one win on the board. West Brom have been so desperately unlucky so far that I think this is one they'll win, Justin. Yeah, it's a head v heart thing, isn't it? Because your head is all the logic and all the data is telling you that West Brom are going to absolutely batter Coventry. Um, but then your heart's thinking, well, actually, the narrative sets up for a surprise win here for Coventry. Obviously, with the the lack of um, the lack of the lack of games, the 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 disruption to the season, the rumours that have, have been bounding around, as is always the case on social media by supporters who are unsettled. Um, I just think it's it's set up for for that sort of narrative where Coventry nick a one 0 win or a two one win where it's where it's tight and they and they get a late goal much much like the games they played last season. Um, but although Coventry are bottom, I don't think their team. I, th- I think their performances haven't justified a bottom place uh, position right now. I think they are much better than much better than that. They've certainly got the quality of player to to improve upon that. And West Brom are in this funk at the moment where they can't they can't put away their chances. Again, um, so I think it's a difficult game to predict. I think obviously Coventry are a better team than bottom of the table in terms of the players they've got, but in terms of how they've played so far, I think they deserve to be bottom of the table because they have really struggled in multiple games. I mean, they got battered against Norwich at the weekend, and I struggled to see that being any different here. Jokeres and Godden were dropped to the bench for some reason against Norwich, and even when they came on, didn't offer too much. But you'd have thought they'd have to start this game for Coventry to offer anything but West Brom should create a hatful of chances they've been doing that all season particularly through the likes of John Swift and Jed Wallace and even though converting them has been a problem I feel like they should create plenty and at least score enough here to get a positive result and that's why I struggle to see beyond a West Brom win in all honesty Justin. I think Coventry will still create chances themselves Um, and yeah I do agree with you that West Brom are going to create as many chances um well enough chances at least to, to to put one in the back of the net but I think Coventry's still got that quality to 
to do the same to West Brom. And I don't think West Brom are bulletproof by any means. They've shown that they can switch off at times, especially with the long balls. Um, several games where they've done it, you look at Josh McGuinness scoring for Wigan, um, the goal against um, against Burnley, they, they switch off at the back. And I think Coventry will exploit that. So I'm, I'm leaning towards a draw for this. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a walk in the park for West Brom. I'll go 2-0 West Brom. Going 1-1. Interesting. And finally, the Nathan Jones derby. Stoke v Luton. Of course, we're completely unbiased on this podcast, Justin, but I must admit that I'm desperate for a Luton win just to see Nathan Jones go full Nathan Jones. This man would give his spleen for three points here. <laughs> now you say it, yeah, I think it's something we all need to see. I, I, I just, just a camera pan to him while he's because that touchline's massive as well, isn't it? Down at um, at the Bet Three Six Five, so that that would be absolutely spectacular. Him running up and down, especially if we can get a late winner, 89th minute winner. Ooh. Justin, I, I can just see it. I can already <laughs> see it right now. He'll be doing an ultimate warrior style sprint from one side of the pitch to the other, grabbing the advertising hoardings and shaking them up and down. It'd be fantastic. Or at the very least, you can almost guarantee to sar- guarantee a sarcastic comment in the post-match interview because he loves one of them against his old teams. Um, Luton find themselves 18th, Stoke 19th. Alex Neal's still searching for his first win as Stoke boss Luton. Looks as if they had turned a corner before losing to Wigan at the weekend. Quite a tricky one to call this, isn't it? Yeah, obviously I was saying earlier on in the, the episode that I don't know where Alex Neal and Stoke are at, at the moment. It was a good performance against Swansea, but really poor against Reading. Um, and Luton have been hit and miss as well, just when you think they're going to, they're going to get going. They, they suffer a poor result and a bit of a below-par performance. So, yeah, it's, it's a difficult one. I think both teams have got the quality of player to create chances um, but it's just whether or not they can they can get firing um, Luton probably create chances more sustainably than, than Stoke do um, but Stoke under as I say Stoke under Alex Neal are hard to call and that first win's got to come at some point hasn't it but it's, it's hard to separate the teams in this one I just think because of where they are where they're placing the table how underwhelming they've been um, so hard to pull them apart I'd say Luton have been slightly better than their results suggest and they've won two on the bounce away from home. For that reason, I'll go for a 2-1 Luton win. I'm going for for a 1-1 draw again. Fence hitter. Right now, it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and it's been a hell of a lot quieter than it has been during the transfer window. Um, DFL says it's incredibly frustrated about the technology failure in the Huddersfield v Blackpool game. It comes after Huddersfield were denied a goal. Despite the ball crossing the line, Hawkeye says the match officials did not receive a signal to their watch or earpiece because the ball wasn't being tracked as it entered the Blackpool goal area. Meanwhile, the PGMOL have confirmed officials were unsighted due to obstruction by players and therefore were unable to award award a goal. The AFL has also confirmed the referee's decision is final and the match result stands. Thoughts Justin Peach? It went exactly the way you'd expect it to go. It's, it's, they can't I don't, they can't change the result. Um, I think the, the frustrating thing is this is something that would just probably just get swept under the carpet which is frustrating for Huddersfield from a Huddersfield perspective. It's disappointing as well because if you go back to that Sheffield United Aston Villa incident in the Premier League a couple of seasons ago Nothing really gets spoken about that or what the um, what the uh, connotations were coming what, away from. What would from. you expect to happen, Justin? Just an explanation of what went wrong, why it went wrong, 
and what they're going to do to to not let it happen again. Um, They've done that. Did you not hear what I just said? Yeah, but did they go into detail as exactly why it failed and what's going to happen to to avoid it? Because to have two failures in a technology in the space of two years, I think is quite disappointing, especially when clubs front up the money to have this technology available at the grounds. I think it's been three years now, but still, I think that's quite a good record, really. It shouldn't happen at all, though. That's that's the thing, and especially if VAR light is in play as well, um, as it as it should be, then then officials can resort to outside help to come to the right conclusion about this this sort of incident. Because as I, you know, I can't I can't really point the finger at the EFL or or the PGMO MOL, and obviously the technology failed. Um, but Huddersfield are left just sat there like, well, okay, then great, thanks for this, guys. Yeah, doesn't doesn't get us a point, but your apology means a lot. It doesn't doesn't really help. I don't think it's just one of those things that happens. In technology fails sometimes. Your computer sometimes doesn't work for for some bizarre reason. Sometimes it just happens. But what happens after that? The impact, the ripple effects, and it all it all. I know it's such a horrible argument, and I hate this argument so much. Don Goodman mentioned it on Sky yesterday. what happens if Huddersfield get relegated by a point, for example? Um, and that that's a point that they they would have had had technology not failed, for example. That's, you can't that's... you can't you can't guarantee that either, though, Justin. You can't guarantee that right. Huddersfield would have definitely gone on to get a point from this game if this goal is stood. And also, you could also make the same argument. Well, Huddersfield may have lost a point here, but the same thing could have said been about you know any refereeing decision that's been made over the past. Hundreds of years. That, no, that's a good, that's a completely fair statement. Um, I just I just, I think we should be in a position where we we're not accepting that technology will fail sometimes. Okay, that happens, but the amount of checks that get done, and the, the two incidents are exactly the same. You mentioned it in the episode at the weekend where the players are bundled by the line and Hawkeye can't pick it up. There will be incidents like that again, and if it happens again, then this, there's going to be more scrutiny as to why this this instance repeating itself based purely on why where the players are based on the line it's it's in, yeah it's clearly an issue there it needs to be resolved and we're not well, hearing enough from it well you say that two issues in what two or three years as i say i think that's a pretty decent record really um but i saw some fans saying the referee should have given it obviously the pgml says they were unsighted but also if you're under the impression that goal line technology would give anything that crosses the line then i completely understand why the referee wouldn't give it unless of course, they were aware that it wasn't being tracked anymore, but that doesn't sound like it was the case. I completely understand why Huddersfield fans are so upset, but I don't think there's much you can do because I think Hawkeye have just messed up. Simple as that, really. Um, elsewhere, Ryan Lowe's been charged by the FA after being sent off following their loss to Birmingham at the weekend. He has until Friday to respond after allegedly using abusive and or insulting words towards a match official. And finally, Millwall striker Isaac Eloafe has signed a new contract to stay with them for the foreseeable future. The 22-year-old made his debut for them earlier this season. Right now, it's time for this. Did Yes, sir. You mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? Yes, it's time for Diddy or Didn't He. This is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the championship and a club. All we've got to do is guess whether they've played for that club or not. 
Um, he's got to have made a senior appearance for them. It's worth mentioning too. We take it in turns to guess them and we keep score as the season goes on. This week, it's my turn to guess with the score 2012 to Justin Peach. Justin, I am ready for the first one, please. Are you really, though? No. <laughs> and I never prepared, will be. Prepare to have your day absolutely ruined. Gary Hooper and Barnsley. Hmm. I'm going to say no. Although something in my head is saying that may have happened. So you're, you're going with your first answer? Yes, I'm going with my stomach. Ooh. Um, you're completely correct. I made that one up. Played for Scunthorpe and Sheffield Wednesday, but not Barnsley. Although I can yeah. imagine him in a Barnsley shirt. Yeah, I, I I could too. I'm not sure what, why why that is, but nonetheless, I'll take a point. Thank you. Chris Kirkland and West Brom. Yes, I remember that. Do you really? Yeah, I, I don't think he played that much, did he? I think he was just back up, but I do recall that. Well, you're correct. Five appearances on loan from Liverpool in 2005-2006. Okay, I was thinking towards the end of his career, so that was quite <laughs> fortunate. <laughs> Ooh, I should have played some mind games there. Ah, I missed, missed a trick. Missed a trick. Caleb Folan and Middlesbrough. Justin, I could not tell you Caleb Folan's career at all. I could tell you Hull. That's it. Um, I'll go yes, because I genuinely have no further knowledge of his career. Are you sure? No. <laughs> You're correct. One appearance on loan in 2009. Honestly, Hull. That's it. I don't know any more of Caleb Ferland's careers. Chest- Chesterfield, born in Leeds. There you go. No, no. Cheers. <laughs> Scott three, Hogan. three for me so far, just saying. Uh, carry on. Scott Hogan of Stoke City. Um, oh, did he, did he go on loan there? I think he might have gone on loan there. I feel like he may have gone on loan there when we were recording this podcast. Are you thinking of another club? don't think so. See, he didn't play for many clubs before Brentford, I don't think. Did he not? But I think he, after his failed move to Aston Villa, I think he may have gone on loan there. Are you sure? That's what I'm going with, yes. You're going with a yes? Yes. Well, it's four out of four because he did 13 appearances in 2020 on loan. Yeah, yeah. That rang a bell. It rang a big bell. It rang like a big Ben bell. <laughs> good. Glad the bells are ringing this morning because that's, yeah, as I say, 100% record is, is pretty nifty. It's, this is a good start for you. I'm getting pretty nervous now. Mm, yeah, considering you got eight last week. Mm. Martin Waghorn and Cardiff. Waghorn's had a few clubs. Old Waggy. Um, prior to Rangers, he was at Sunderland and Wigan. And went through a few clubs, but I don't think Cardiff was one of them. Are you 100% sure on that one? No, I'm not 100% sure on any of them, Justin. You're correct. I made yes. that one up. I am loving life right now. Continue, like, you got eight last week, yeah. and that was astonishing. So for me to be five out of five, if I get 100% first time this season, then I'm going out after this. Lee Hendry in Brighton. God, he's had a few clubs. Um, I can't really name many clubs he's played for. He was at Villa. He had spells at Sheffield United and Derby as well. 
And for some reason, I am thinking, yes, I reckon he did have a spell at Brighton. <laughs> yeah, in a loan spell there, 2010, made 80 pounds. Yeah, that, that was more of a stab in the dark because I, I know he played for quite a few clubs. Isaac Hayden and Millwall. God, Isaac Hayden. Has he been at Newcastle this whole time? Well, maybe. I suppose that's the end of the game, isn't it? Um, I, I think he has been at Newcastle this whole time and the only way he would have played for Millwall is a loan spell, which I don't think he did. <laughs> well done. Yep, you are absolutely spot on. Seven out of seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well done. Congratulations. I'm, I'm absolutely happy for you. Hull, uh, Nick Powell. Yeah, I remember that. How do you remember that? This is when he was being loaned out all over the shop by Manu, wasn't it? 2016, three appearances. You're correct. Eight out of eight. <laughs> yeah. Let's get ten. Come on, Justin. Oh, dear. Nyra Put it on the plate for me. Nyron Nosworthy in Rotherham. Ooh. I... If he did, I'm thinking it's during that period where Rotherham signed everyone. Oh, I'm really 50-50 on this one. I'm going to go yes. You're incorrect, sir. Get in. Oh, damn it. Get in. Get in. I was, I was going to say no up until the point yes came out of my mouth. Yeah, That's just, really annoying. It's one of those players that I presume play for Rotherham, especially under Neil Warnock. Don't know why. Yeah, I can completely understand that. That's so rotating. So close to 10 out of 10. All right, let's get nine. Come on, Justin. Final one. Bow is my hill on Birmingham City. Yes. Are you sure? Yeah. How sure? 95%. Why? Because I did him as a random footballer on Twitter the other day. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are correct. Um, to my amazement, he made 42 appearances in the 2011-2012 season on loan at Birmingham, which yeah, completely, completely did not, yeah, completely. If I if I way. didn't um, put him down as a random footballer, I don't think I'd have remembered that at all, Justin, because I remember him being at Hull, having a spell at West Brom, but Birmingham, pff, as recent as that as well. That was when they, they were in the Premier League, wasn't it? No, that was the season they came down under Chris Hewitt and hit, got into the oh, Okay, I mean, even so, 43 appearances passed me by. But there we go, 9 out of 10, ladies and gentlemen, on Diddy or Didn't He. Today is going to be a good day for everyone apart from Justin Peach. That means the score now is 21-20 to myself for the season. It's bloody tight after three games each, I think I'm right in saying. Yeah. Um, three or four games each. So there we go. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday to go through all the weekend's games and we bloody look forward to seeing you then. This has been the Second Tier. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their Golden Glow body set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for smooth, glowing skin. While the Glow & Go facial set provides spa-level results at home. 
Both sets come in giftable boxes with savings up to $48 and free shipping for a limited time. For 10% off your first order site-wide, go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM.